Hello and welcome to Gutshot, home of the hottest takes for Magic the Gathering. I'm Will and joining me as always is my boy Frederick. Hello, I'm Frederick, uh, also known on Twitch as War Crimes Woo, and welcome to Gutshot, the Magic the Gathering podcast that you foretell but never get to cast. I really hope that that's not how Fortel ends up uh, playing. I would be really sad if I play Fortel cards and they just sit there and sit there and I never, I never use them. That would be pretty sad. I think that's kind of what the mechanic looks like it's going to do, but this doesn't look like a super aggressive format, so I don't think you'll be able to punish your opponent for foretelling too many cards and not doing anything, anything on their turn. Either way, I think this limited is going to be really fun, and just this set in general. Right. Um, well, well, that's good. We we got to go. There's no time. We got to go. We got to do these spoilers, Fred. We got to do the spoilers. <laughs> ah! We do. We do. We have to do our top ten each. So in total, top twenty favorite cards coming in Kaldheim for limited, standard, modern, commander, um, Kaldheim, Popper, tiny leaders, fifty-two card pickup. Um, yeah, favorite cards for fifty-two card pickup. Uh, that would be the white mythic. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I, I guess we could jump right into it. Kaldheim, uh, for those who don't know, is the Viking plane. It's uh, the sort of um, Norse mythology plane. We've got uh, angels. Uh, we've got Valhalla. We've got trolls. Uh, we've got um, bad, pillaging. Bad, bad white cards. Bad white cards. Uh, good white cards, too, actually, which um, is a new mechanic they're trying out with this set. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, snow is back. That's the important thing. That, that's the thing that makes uh, old, classic Magic players soy face. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, look, hey, Fred, I don't have anything to say to you. I don't want to know anything about how your like uh, previous week was or anything like that. I don't want to hear a single word from you. Let's just get right into these Kaldheim cards. Well, I actually don't exist outside of this podcast. So, um, yeah, there we go. I didn't have a previous week. That's probably um, that's probably for the best. But yes, uh, we're my, my cards that I'm going to talk about are not particularly ranked uh, in any sort of order. They're just kind of the most exciting or cards that I have the most to say about. Um, I don't know if um, you know your list is going to be ordered in any way, but but mine isn't. So, um, but yeah, all of these cards I'm going to have something to say about. A minor in order of how good I think they'll smell. <laughs> that's that's a good way to do it. I should have thought about that. See, this is why oh, yeah. I'm so glad that you're on this podcast is because you have these uh, uh, very good, interesting takes that I uh, just uh, am not smart enough to come up with. It's true. That's uh, what I'm here for. Um, so speaking of uh, interesting, um, the first card we have to talk about is one that I added. Uh, and this is Waking the Trolls. Now, sagas are back. This is actually the first time we've gotten multicolored sagas. That's the special thing about this block. Uh, and Waking the Trolls is actually a card that I see some modern potential in. And I'll explain myself, but after I read the card. So it's four, a red and a green. Um, uh, step one, destroy target land. You know, something we don't see on, on modern magic cards very often. Step two, put target land card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. And step three, choose target opponent if they control fewer lands than you. Create a number of 4-4 four, four green troll warrior tokens with trample equal to the difference. Now, uh, Will, what are your immediate thoughts on this card? I love the design of it. I like the art of it. Uh, it's really cool that we're getting multicolored sagas now. I don't think that this really has the power level um really even for standard. So I'm really curious to, to see where you think this power level is. Um, but I off, off the cuff, I'm not too super impressed with this. Okay, uh, let me try to move you on that. Yes, please. Um, 
for the longest time, modern Ponza played two to four copies of Goblin Dark Dwellers, which was a card from um, uh, either Battle for Zendikar or Oath of the Gatewatch. Five drop, four, four menace. When it enters the battlefield, you flash back a spell with three or less mana cost from your graveyard for free. So obviously you'd hit Stone Rain or Molten Rain. Um, this is one more mana. You don't have to have the Stone Rain or Molten Rain in your graveyard, which is a little bit of a bonus, just in case you happen to not have your three mana land destruction throughout the game. Uh, this just blow, or they have a scooze or something. This just blows up their um, their land on its own by the effect of itself. Uh, step two: put a land from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. You know they're playing Monvuli Acid Moss, which has a similar effect. It takes them down one land and you up one land. Except this time, you can get a fetch land out of their graveyard. You can get a fetch land out of your graveyard. You can get uh, Kessig Wolf Run out of your graveyard. Um, and then step three: you're gonna get. Um, you know, at minimum one four four body, but let's be real, probably like five four four bodies at this stage in the game. You know, Ponza's game plan is just to blow up your opponent's lands um, until you have enough um, until until you have so many more lands than them they're not casting spells, and then you just play something big and kill them. This blows up their land and is the big thing that kills them in the same way that Goblin Dark Dwellers was, and I think this could fill a similar role. Now, your example of you know, the cards that you just listed off, that was pre-Uro, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I See, I don't know. In in the new Uro pile world uh, of modern and even standard now, you know, because we're still dealing with that there, uh, I just, yeah, I just I just don't know. I will defer to you, though. You are the Ponza uh, expert uh, between the two of us. So if you think it has legs, I'm willing to at least... Uh, uh, try it out. Do you think that this sees any play in modern? Or I'm sorry, uh, do you uh, do you think that this sees any play in current standard? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just because um, you don't have the critical mass of land destruction cards that makes this payoff valuable. But I think the utility in modern comes from its use in Ponza. Ponza actually has a phenomenal matchup against Uro piles. You ramp out a piece of land destruction before they have enough mana to play Uro, and then Clothis eats Uro if they happen to play one already. Okay, yeah, that that sound that sounds. I can see the um, the logic there. That makes a lot of sense for me. I do like this card. Um, I just I really love the flavor of it. I think it, it works well. I like that it. Um, it, regardless of what happens, if people are just playing a normal game of Magic and just playing one land per turn as you're supposed to do, Magic as uh, Richard Garfield intended, you know this mm -hmm. destroys a problematic land, uh, lets you probably get a land back, and then you um, you get a four four, which I think is a good rate for a you know like good limited rare uh in a standard set uh but you know oh, yeah. of course of course you can uh build your deck to really take advantage of that and i think that that's good design so uh, overall i think this is a really good design for magic oh yeah i agree i think it's a really awesome design it's one of the more unique ones i've seen in a while and i'm happy to see good land destruction cards getting printed again so I'm excited to see where this goes. I do think it has legs in modern, but I, I could be wrong. From what you've seen in the spoilers, is Troll a relevant creature type? Uh, not in my opinion, no. Yeah, I don't think so from the things that I've seen. But I, yeah, I, I do like the, the overall design of this card. Yes, um, and uh, Thrawn is no longer the last Troll. So uh, good for him. <laughs> man, that's man, talk about power creep, right? Man, <laughs> Magic's only supposed to have one Troll. <laughs> it's true. They have never printed any other ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but next we've got a card that I think is really interesting that I never thought would come in um, 
in a standard set. Uh, why don't you introduce us to this next card? Oh, yeah, this plus another card, which is my next card to talk about, no one was expecting when we were thinking about Kaldheim, which was going to be the Norse mythology, you know, the Scandinavia uh, theme set. This is a Finn the Fangbearer, uh, two mana, uh, one generic and one green. It's a 1-3 legendary creature, human warrior, and it's an uncommon, so keep that in mind. It has Death Touch, and it says whenever a creature you control with Death Touch, uh, death touch deals combat damage to a player that player gets two poison counters that's right infect is back it's standard legal baby <laughs> um yeah this is uh, surprising to me equally worth pointing out there are actually two uncommon legendaries in this set so that is two different monocolor um popper uh tiny leaders decks that you can build in uh kaldheim Oh, yeah. For, uh, so look out for that. That's yeah. the most important thing about this card. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, but it's not Infect. It's only um, a triggered ability that puts poison counters in addition to the damage, and it doesn't go up based on its power. But tell me tell me what chops you think this card has. Uh, okay, yes. Um, that That's... I, th I think this is a good thing. I do not think that this card is actually that great. Um, and and I, I think Wizards feels the same way because it's uncommon. This is a really interesting card. It's not Infect. Um, I don't think that this is going to make an a, a, uh, Infect-style deck in Standard or even Historic really happen. It's just really cool and flavorful, um, especially with the other card that we're uh, going to talk about uh, two cards from now. Um, but I do think that the, one, one place this is going to be really cool is a standard brawl um and that's really where this is going to be my first brawl deck uh once called heim releases on arena and i think this card is a really great example of what you and i talked about on our last episode uh, our favorite mechanics that we wanted to return wizards mm -hmm. can wizards has the ability to bring mechanics back piecemeal if they only want to use like exert or mentor on like one card they have the ability to do that and here's a perfect example of them bringing back poison for one singular card and just having that just be it we're, we're definitely in the um uh, era of magic where sets or mechanics don't really have to be completely supported uh by a ton of cards in one set these days. So I'm glad that this is where they're more experimenting with the idea of just bringing uh, mechanics back piecemeal. Um, don't think this card is super powerful, but I can't wait to play with it, can't wait to build around it and brawl, and it's just super, super cool with what's what else is going on in the set. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious if there's a critical mass of Death Touch creatures to build around this in Brawler, if it's just going to be a sort of Voltron, like make sure Finn can hit you every turn for five turns sort of uh, deal. Uh, but I'm excited to see it work, whatever it does. I have not looked at what is available in uh, at least standard brawl just yet. I have the feeling it's going to be kind of janky. It's it's probably going to be you're playing a lot of bad creatures and won't really get there. But I'm doing it no matter what. So <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, playing a lot of just one mana one one snakes. Yeah, yeah. So so that so that's that. Um, the next one is uh, that you're going to be talking about is Rune of Subsistence, and I'm really curious as to how this like. Uh, cycle of cards is going to play in limited. So why don't you tell us about this card? Yeah, so I kind of put this card in the slideshow just as a um, as a stand-in for the whole cycle. Uh, so Rune of Sustenance is uh, one and a white for an Aura Rune, which is a new subtype. There's one card that interacts with them. Uh, Enchant Permanent. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. As long as Enchanted Permanent is a creature, it has lifelink. And as long as Enchanted Permanent is an equipment, it gives equipped creature lifelink. So... 
there's a blue one that gives flying and draws a card. There's a green one that gives trample and plus one plus one and draws a card. There's a red one that gives plus one oh and haste and draws a card. And there is a black one that gives death touch and draws a card. Um, so you can put this on an equipment and then the equipped creature has that ability. I think this is a really cool, really interesting design. And it um, sort of appeals to that sort of Norse like Viking trope of you can mark your skin with a rune, you can put it on your equipment and it gives you some sort of boon in battle. Um, so I think it's a really flavorful design. I think these are going to be really good and limited and some of them might even to push into standard with the rare that's built to synergize with them. Um, putting these mechanics on like a shadow spear or um, you know just something that's cheap to equip yeah i agree um i i won't speak as to how these are going to play in limited i as we've talked about on this podcast a lot i'm not really a limited player but just looking at this card i love the way that they're designed the fact that even mm -hmm. if you don't have anything you just top deck it you can actually attach it to a land and just draw a card so it's not it's not ever completely dead you can always cycle it if you have to I, I just think that's really cool design. Um, it, it's kind of yeah. surprising we haven't seen something like this before. They, they've tried things like this before, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if this plays so well that this kind of becomes a kind of the template for how um, like playable auras are created in the future. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see just how well these play. I have a feeling that the um, uh, player base are really gonna fall in love with these cards uh, within the limited format. Oh yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot of interesting weird corner cases with it too. You can enchant a man land because this just says enchant permanent and then the, it gets that ability while it's a creature. Um, just a lot of weird stuff going on. And of course, if you just want to cycle it and you want to piss off your opponent, you can enchant their land and you're allowed to do that and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Oh, oh off the cuff, what is what do you think is the most powerful of the rune cycle? Um, I think it's between the, the white one and the green one. I think the extra plus one plus one trample is awesome and I think uh, lifelink is also just really powerful to have, especially with card draw, but... Um, also, I think if you see any play in standard, they're most likely to be enchanting Shadow Spear, and those are the two abilities Shadow Spear already has. So I could see the red one, um, maybe the blue one is flying, so maybe that one. I think probably the blue one. Yeah, I, I would lean towards, I was about to ask, does the blue one have flying? Because I think that's going to yeah. be um, the, the big one. And some of these might even, where I would want to maybe see these in Constructed, is that the, um, uh, the Historic Auras deck. Maybe maybe one of these could like go into that deck. Uh, I guess uh, that deck already has a lot of really good auras. Uh, you know, cheap auras mm -hmm. that only cost one uh, to use. So yeah, I, these just seem like a design home run to me. Yeah, I think these are the best uh, when you're putting them on equipment and then that equipment is going on to different creatures over the course of a game yep, yep, to get the maximum value. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a robust discussion to be had around these cards, and I'm excited for how that unfolds. But speaking of robust discussion, um, you have picked the probably the most controversial card of the set. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and read that to us? Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah. This was uh, first shown to the public through a leak. So, uh, you know, there was um, a, a huge, it was like the biggest news story for like three days on the Magic subreddit uh, when this card was spoiled. Because, again, like with Finn, no one was expecting something like this when it, w it was leaked. It was such a, yeah. like, it was such a, out of left field. But, we, in fact, in Kaldheim have Vorinclex, Monstrous Raider. That's right. If you've heard that name before, if you think that you've heard that name before, you have because this is the Green Praetor from New Phyrexia 
inexplicably on Kaldheim wreaking havoc. Uh, <laughs> and we have him in creature form. Uh, six converted mana cost, so four generic and then two green. It is a 6-6 six, six legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. So this is the first time that we've seen Phyrexian as a creature type. Uh, it has, yeah. Oh, yeah. It has trample and haste. So a 6-6 six, six, uh, for six with haste. I think that's a key point of this. Uh, and then on top of that, because if that wasn't enough, if you would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, put twice that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead. So this is a souped up doubling season, but that's not all. If an opponent, yeah. if an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent or a player, they put half that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead, rounded down. Man, this seems okay. All right, just to talk about the flavor, it is so weird that they took like such a core piece of new phyrexia and, and you know like a future story beat uh, that they would eventually get to and just inexplicably put them on a plane that has nothing to do with it uh yeah everyone was, yeah. Everyone was losing their minds and so was i Did, what was your initial reaction to seeing that vorinclex was going to be in this set? I didn't like it. Uh, okay, I didn't like that Mirrodin turned into New Phyrexia. It felt just sort of flavorfully muddled, and I was worried that too much of the set would be taken up by um, Vorinclex, even if he was the only Praetor on the on the plane, and it would take away from the sort of Viking feel. And so I'm glad that it was only he was on this card, and then he was referenced on like two other cards. I think the card itself is sweet. Um, you know, doubling season, uh, but also your opponent is like has like the opposite of a doubling season on them. Uh, I think the fact that it's removable by creature removal probably makes it worse than doubling season in my mind. But um, doubling season is uh, is hot girl summer, and Vorinclex is doing hot girl shit, uh, and I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this card seems very playable. Um, I was a little like at first I was like, you know, obviously this is going to be a commander favorite forever, of course, um, you know, because that is the the format of doubling season. Um, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, will this see play in standard? And the more I look at it, the more I really do think that this has the legs. If um, if Elder Gargaroth can see play in standard, I think that this can too. And Haste, I think, will be a big player as to whether this makes the leap. So I would really think of this as more as a like a, a big questing beast. If you're a deck that always wants to play questing beast on turn four and swing as much as possible, I think that this is also going to be a card you're going to want on your top end, regardless of whether you can really make use of the doubling season effect because the anti-doubling season on your opponent will also be very good, um, mostly for their planeswalkers. You know, once this is on the field and they don't re remove it, their planeswalkers become a lot less good, especially the ones that you know usually want to... Um, to uh, uh, click down uh, to kind of stabilize the board, mm -hmm. uh, like like a like an Ashiok or, or something like that. So I, uh, the more I look at this card, I really think it has legs in standard. Uh, I think most of the decks that play Questing Beast are like ag aggressive decks, and the Questing Beast is the top of their curve. So asking two more mana um, might be like I I just think this would probably make a different deck rather than see play in that deck. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is this the thing that finally busts uh, Warnessa in half? Warnessa's not in standard anymore, but in historic, possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just in, in the formats that that's available. Do you think that we finally now have the tools to make Nissa, uh, Nissa be a good card? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I'd have to like look at the weird interactions because doubling season works with some stuff and doesn't work with some stuff. If it plus twos Nissa to make a six six land creature, then yeah, that's probably pretty good. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Uh, what's going to happen is with this in play. Um, here, I, I need to look this up uh, just to make sure that I have my numbers. What I believe happens is uh, Nissa comes in. When it comes in, its um, loyalty is doubled. Because you put the you put the um, the loyalty counters on there, it immediately goes to eight. So you can play Nissa. Uh, you know, it comes in and play immediately. Uh, ultimates. Uh, you know, you search all of your um, uh, your deck for all the indestructible force, put them in the play. Um, you know, and this is already a powerhouse card. Uh, so I I think that this card plus Nissa is finally finally going to break the uh, the unplayable card Nissa who shakes the world. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, it does let you ult as soon as you come in, but I mean, there's a lot of Planeswalkers that ult as soon as they come in with, uh, um, with a doubling season out, and I think there's probably Planeswalkers with more powerful ults. Uh, Ugin is two more mana than this guy, but he springs to mind immediately. Um, there's, uh, Garuk, who gives you an emblem overrun. I, I think that, uh, Nissa's might be, Nissa might be thinking a little small. I think there will be a Vorinclex Super Friends deck in Historic, though. Maybe in Standard, even. Yeah, yes, and I, I think that, you know, that I, people are going to try to do that, because this is a shoe in for that type of deck. Um, not yeah. to harp on this card too much. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it alone for a bit. Um, but I do want to say... I actually like the fact that they're bringing this like this one particular card back and it not being like a full-blown invasion of Kaldheim from Phyrexia. Yeah. I really like it. It's just one card. And I wouldn't mind, because uh, we know we're not going back to New Phyrexia anytime soon. Maybe next year, but at least for the rest of this year, we're not going back to New Phyrexia. And I, I think that it would be cool if we just saw little glimmers of Phyrexia kind of reaching its tendrils out into the other planes such as this. So I'm really excited to see what we see in other sets. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave this card alone. I think we've, we've said well, it I'm, I'm, I agree with you, and I'm glad that uh, that Phyrexia isn't destroying any planes with a new, unique identity. Unless they do that to the Harry Potter plane, that would be based. Yeah, you, um, you would be fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's 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 get off of this card. I can't wait to play this. Um, but there is a, a new card that is completely new, uh, and that is Cosmos Charger, which you picked. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell us about this? Yeah, so Cosmos Charger is sort of an enabler for a potential Fortell deck. It's three and a blue for a 3-3 Flash Flyer. Uh, foretelling cards from your hand costs one less. It can be done on any player's turn. Um, so that means like it can be done you know, at instant speed. Uh, and this has Fortell for two and a blue. So if you foretell it, you can cast it later for two and a blue. Um, the immediate things that come to mind are um, you know, foretelling this, flipping it um, at the end of your opponent's turn three, and then um, immediately foretelling, playing a land and foretelling four cards. Um, yep. That's pretty huge. Or immediately playing another Cosmos Charger and then foretelling all the cards from your hand for free because that ability stacks. Uh, and I don't think that's really ma magical Christmas land. I'm excited to build a blue-white foretell deck with all of the incredibly strong cards, the white mythic, the blue extra turn mythic, um, the board wipe. I'm, I'm really excited to try to make foretell work in standard. And this card has really inspired that and brought that together. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Foretell by itself seems like a really interesting mechanic, uh, you know, kind of in the same way as Morph. You're going to foretell it. It kind of makes it to where you're not punished as much by, like, sitting on extra mana. Um, and, you know, and that threat of activation is definitely real. And we've seen some powerhouse foretell cards. So, uh, you know, in the fact that it's, you know, it could just be a tiny vanilla creature. It could be the best board wipe we've seen in a while. It could be, you know, actual factual counterspell. Um, right. I, yeah, I think I think that the power of the foretell cards, plus this being you know not a terrible creature just on its own, like it's below rate, yeah, but it's flash flying three three that has the ability to end games. It's not a it's not a uh, bad magic card. Uh, yeah, and yeah. The, and the power of fort uh, the the power of the foretell package. If you really wanted to lean on that ability, I definitely think that ex uh, that deck has the ability to exist, and this would only make it stronger. So I'm totally on board with you on this. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think this is possible. I didn't rank these either, but I think this is possibly one of my favorite cards of the set. It's certainly gonna. I hope be my favorite standard brew that I make with the set because I do have a couple decks that are coming down the pipe. You'll see them on the Stevensville Gamers YouTube channel probably um, with the ones that work anyway after I build them. But I've been saving wild cards and this is at the top of my list. And it is a spirit, so you get the spirit synergies as well. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. It's also a horse, so you get the horse synergies. <laughs> well, okay, one of these days we're finally going to do our horse episode where we talk about the best horses of magic. I promise we are going to do that. Uh, donate to our Patreon, <laughs> and we'll make the horse episode. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of things that are never going to happen, you think this next card is going to see standard play? Yeah. Um, tell us about it. Uh, okay, I think you're going to clown on me for this, but I think I'm right, and I'm going to defend myself. This is funeral. Okay. This is funeral longboat, and I think this card is a is a really. It, it, it's it's powerful and i really like the design of it uh this is a mm -hmm. this is a vehicle costs two generic uh, you know artifact vehicle um when it's a creature it's a three three um and then the creature has vigilance and it has a crew of one so uh, i really think that this is pretty close to looter scooter uh, you know smuggler's copter from um from kaladesh now it's not it's not looter scooter. It doesn't fly. It doesn't, you know, let you loot cards like that. Obviously, that's not that. I think that the rate of this card, just it being two mana, three, three, crew one, is enough to actually make it a really good card just to always have on your side of the field. Crew one is huge. And a three, three vigilance is nothing to scoff at. Like that is a legitimate card on the field. Um, I, I think this is, I think the, just the rate of this, even with it just being vigilance, is really good um and, and not and not something that we can just gloss over because it's obviously not smuggler's copter or obviously not super powerful this is you know it, it's it's the tarmogoyf thing it just attacks and blocks but it does it at such a great rate that i think it's worth looking at for constructed i i think that's the card is a little deceptive the vigilance basically doesn't matter because you're having to tap an extra creature to make this able to block uh, on the on the turn on your opponent's turn, which um, takes away the blocker that you would be ostensibly gaining by this having vigilance. Um, you know the looting is probably the biggest part of what made looter scooter good was that it was you know a good rate creature that was also given enough time a faithless looting. Um, and this just isn't that. I think vigilance is um, basically not relevant on it and i think it's basically just a two mana three three crew one which yeah that'll see a tiny bit of standard play but i think i don't think comparing it to looter scooter is exactly fair 
Uh, I would say that uh, Hardik Kieran had vigilance, and it was very relevant on that uh, on that vehicle. Now, obviously, this is not Hardik Kieran, but you know, like if that's the thing, you do have to tap a creature. But like you know, you do play multiple creatures in your deck. Like uh, I, I, I think it's a little unfair to say that the vigilance means nothing. It, it does it does mean something. Uh, but uh, I, I totally respect your opinion on this, and. Uh, uh, you know, this is obviously not, you know, Looter Scooter, but I, I think this is a really cool card. And I think the flavor is actually really cool. Like when, when we think about Vikings, like the Viking funeral is something that people think about a lot. And this, mm -hmm. you know, with the art and, uh, you know, the idea, you know, the idea of it, you know, uh, being the, the funeral longboat that everyone would, uh, uh think about when, um, uh, people talk about like Viking funerals. I think this was a great way for them to fit that piece of Viking uh, lore and history into magic. So I, I really like the flavor of it as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely a good vehicle. It's uh, it's nowhere as good as my boy Parmesan Eleven, but um, it is definitely very strong. I'm so sorry. I know you're making a joke, but I don't know what you're referencing. Can you can you uh, explain so it, it for our listeners? It's from Ravnica. It makes angels. Is the only vehicle from that Ravnica, the Return to Return to Ravnica block, Parmesan Eleven. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that okay, okay. Now, now that you mentioned the card, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, look it up, Parmesan Eleven, MTG. Okay, that's find it. <laughs> All right, that's all I have to say about Funeral Longboat. Uh, let's move on to the next one. This is one that you picked, uh, the Swole Troll. Why don't you tell us about this one? Yeah, so Old Growth Troll, I'm going to, I'm not saying this is as good as um, Predator Ooze, but I'm going to try it out in uh, in Modern Mono Green Devotion. So this is Triple Green, which is three green Devotion, for a 4-4 four, four, uh, with Trample. When Old Growth Troll dies, if it was a creature, return it to the battlefield. It's an aura enchantment with Enchant Forest you control, and Enchanted Forest has tap, add double green, and one tap, sacrifice this land, create a tap 4-4 four, four green troll warrior creature token with Trample. So the big thing about Predator Ooze is that it, uh, it's, it's inevitability. Uh, and uh, what that, uh, the extra thing that that inevitability provides you in Modern Mono Green Devotion is that your devotion is going to stick around, so you'll always be able to make a lot of mana with Nykthos. And the cool thing about Old Growth Troll is that if it does die to you know, uh, a fetch push, which it doesn't die to bulk, it's a 4-4, four, four, but if it dies to a fetch push or, or something else, Murderous Cut, um, you get to bring it back and you still get that devotion. While it's a, an R enchantment, you still have you still get three devotion to green, and then it's basically going to be much harder to remove at that point. And it's basically a utopia sprawl in your forest. So not only does that forest tap for double green, if you untap it with an Arbor Elf, it taps for another double green. And you can tap it into Nykthos, and you still get the triple green from Old Growth Troll's mana cost. So they feel obligated to kill it because it's a 4-4 trample. You know, that will eventually end the game. But uh, once they kill it, uh, you, you know, they haven't gotten rid of the devotion. So I can still power out like a Primal Command and a Primeval Titan off of my Nykthos. So I think this will be good. I'm going to substitute Predator Ooze for it and see if it does the job. I wouldn't be surprised if Predator Ooze ends up being more consistent, but that's that's where my head's at with this card, and I'm really excited to try it. Yeah, that's great. The fact that when it dies, it still con uh, contributes to your devotion seems like it's a uh, slam dunk for that deck. And hopefully, uh, hopefully you would have the room. Maybe you know, uh, uh, it, you know, it, it would uh, do the work that you're expecting it to do. I actually think that this might uh, eventually see some play in standard. Probably not right now. Oh, sure. Probably not right now um, because I think if you want this, you're pretty much going to be playing uh, uh, what uh, what is it? It's the it's the three mana five five that makes you know you have to have a one one. Um, Love struck beast. Uh, yeah, yeah, love struck beast. Yeah, you're gonna play that in that um, 
uh, in that slot. Um, but you know, once that rotates out and we don't get anything that would really replace it, I think this is going to, uh, probably be at the top of the list for cheap green creature that's above rate and, uh, hits your opponent really well. Um, and then all the extra stuff that it has will, will not be irrelevant. So, you know, once a love shark beast, uh, leaves uh, standard and you need just cheap green, huge beater, this will be a good one to look for. Yeah, I just think the only real problem with it is, um, you know, it is triple green. So, like, a lot of those decks that are playing Love Struck Beasts are green, white, or green, red. Uh, and this is not going to be really an opportunity for those decks, especially with Flip Lands being our main source of mana fixing. I, I'm not going to say I know too much about the standard meta game right now, but to my understanding, there is a, a Mono Green Food deck uh, going around right now that might be able to make use of this uh, card. I don't know if that's a deck that still exists, but, like, Mono Green is not completely... Uh, um, you know, uh, unplayable in, in current standard. That would be, I, I, I would love to see it. I have not actually played against that before, but maybe since I'm a bronzy and constructed, I'm not bronze. I think I'm like silver or something, but I don't play ranked constructed really. Sure. Um, I have not seen it, but I would not be surprised if this card saw some standard play in a mono green deck. All right. Fair, fair, fair enough. Yeah. I, I like, I like this card. Yeah. So um, you have the next card and this is, <laughs> Probably the other biggest um, soy face inducing card. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think... Okay, so we were told that Tybalt was coming back to Kaldheim. Now, Tybalt, you know, we've talked about this on episodes before. He's a bit of a meme. He's always kind of been known as a really bad card and kind of a uh, jokey, uh, you know, don't take seriously type character. But we knew he was coming back to Kaldheim, and we speculated a little bit on what his card was going to be. And what we, you know, the Gutshot podcast came up with was nothing like this. Um, and it looks like he's taking the um, Loki spot in Norse mythology. So th the card specifically, it's a flip card. This is a Valky God of Lies, um, which is the creature side. Uh, and this is a, and then on the flip side is Tybalt Cosmic Imposter, a um, black and red planeswalker. So for, for the first side, this is a Valky God of Lies. It is a two mana black creature, one generic, one black, uh, two, one legendary creature God. So this is the first time we're mentioning it, but there are gods in this set and they work a little bit differently than other gods we've seen in magic. And then this creature, uh, when Valky enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card they reveal this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. So the obvious comparison here is something like Brain Maggot or um, a Kite Sail Freebooter, but a little bit weaker because it's only creatures. You can't get uh, pieces of removal uh, or anything like that. It's only creatures, but it's also each opponent. So it has a little bit more utility in uh, multiplayer commander games. But it has an activated ability. Uh, X, uh, generic. Choose a creature card exiled with Valky with converted mana cost X. Valky becomes a copy of that card. And that's just uh, permanent. Um, so that's a really cool thing to have on there. Um, you know, you take a creature and then you can become that creature. Now, mm -hmm. I actually don't think that, like, this by itself, like, in a uh, in a one-on-one, -on -one, like, standard context, I actually don't think, it, it's a little medium. You know, um, with these types of effects, you usually want to take non-creature spells, right? Um, because you want to remove your opponent's ability to interact with what you're doing. Taking just their creatures which you know are usually pretty interchangeable with each other is not that great uh, would you would you agree yeah. with that yeah i don't think valky is the side of this that people are soy facing over 
sure, um, sure, sure, sure. for sure. But we also live in the world of Uro and Kroxa. Uh, uh, okay, historic. Think about this. So you're playing, uh, your opponent's playing Uro Pile, you know, whatever it is. Uh, you play Valky on turn two. You look at their hand. You take Uro, goes under. Turn three, uh, you know, Uro has a Kravir man cost of three. You pay three. Valky becomes Uro. You swing with a 6-6, six, six, and you get both Uro triggers. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that this is going to be a um, uh, anti-Uro tech for Historic. Um, you know, the creature, you know, for, uh, for that. But this has a flip side. Uh, Tibble Cosmic Imposter. And this is seven mana, so five generic and then a black and a red. Uh, and this is a legendary Planeswalker Tibble. Comes into play with five loyalty or ten if you have Vorinclex, by the way. Wink, wink. As Tibble enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with you may play cards exiled with Tibble Cosmic Imposter, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. So you can kind of guess what Tibble's going to do once it uh, comes into play. Has three abilities, uh, plus two uh, exile the top card of each player's library. So the idea is that you would you would be able to play those cards, you know, whenever you get the chance to. Minus three to exile target artifact or creature, and I think exile is pretty good there. And then the ultimate minus eight exile all cards from all graveyards add three red and of course you'd be able to play those cards um right i i'm actually a little less uh, uh high on tybalt um you know he i think he's a little weak for seven mana um you know especially with um ugin running around i i, I love the right. card i love the card and i think it's a great way um to have valky not be dead at the um you know uh towards the end game uh and and Tibble will generate value but as far like i i don't think you're really looking to play this seven mana card just by its own on any uh in any deck it's it's a little weak um but you know having that option on top of valky i think is what pushes uh, pushes it over the edge uh, i i do think this will see uh play in standard i don't know about older formats uh, you know i i think it'll see playing uh historic but nothing older than that um do, what do you think about the power of the tybalt side uh specifically do you think it's powerful enough to see play um, I think it is, uh, honestly, like, you know, it removes something and then you can play it for the rest of the game. You don't have to still control Tybalt in order to play the card, mm -hmm. um, is the other like important thing that a lot of people forget about this. Um, and then like, even if you just remove something and then this dies, you can then play the thing the next turn. And if you're at the seven mana stage in the game, you probably got rid of something that's pretty valuable, pretty worth playing. I think just the versatility of the fact that when you're playing one of these cards, you get to play the other one for free. Um, is what's going to push this sort of pair of cards over the ed edge. I also want to give a shout out to the most unintuitive ruling of the way keyword abilities interact in Magic the Gathering history, which is that you can cascade into this, and if you could cast Valky, you can cast Tybalt. I'm looking forward to playing this in modern with Bloodbraid Elf and just attempt it. Like, it's just going to be a Jund value deck, but I'm going to play four Valky and four uh, Bloodbraid Elf, and I'm going to try to Cascade into Tybalt. I'm also probably going to play the Tuminous Blast just to, like, have the highest chance of Cascading into Tybalt. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you, you bring up an interesting point. The exile, the minus three exile target artifact or creature does allow you to play that artifact or creature. That that's a good thing to to keep in mind, even after Tybalt um, uh, dies. So yeah, that that's a good way to look at it. In the cascade, uh, I, I'm I'm just okay. This is gonna be my hot take for the episode. It should not work that way. Um, I, I think oh yeah, no, I agree. Completely. I think it's a mistake that Wizards is like that's how it works in the rules. No, you should fix the rules to where something like that doesn't work. But correct. But yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I I'm I'm wrong. 
wrong on, on what I've said about this card. Um, this will see play in modern specifically because of that interaction. People, like regardless of whether it's good or not, people will try it and it will win a few games. So uh, yeah, yeah, I actually think this is actually a pretty good contender for modern play because of that specifically. Now as to whether I'd play that, probably not, but it is there. Either way, I think there's a lot going on with this card um, and flavorfully everyone of course was expecting a Loki card and for it to be the meme of Magic the Gathering is uh, pretty funny. And I'm really- Yeah, pretty fitting. I think so. So, you know, glad my boy Tibbled's back. And I think that this was a very, like one of the more interesting ways they could have brought him back. So, so you know, good card all around. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I'm. This is one of the cards I'm, I'm pretty excited for from the set. I love to play with this in limited too. I think this is probably gonna be one of the best cards you can get in this limited format. Oh yeah, for sure. That, that'll, that'll be good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, so that's what I gotta say about that. Uh, let's move on to your next one, which is uh, Bear Spirit. Yeah, speaking of good and limited, um, this next card is a bear spirit, which is a pretty poggers uh, creature type. Uh, it's three and a good spirit of the Alder Guard. Three and a green for a snow creature. Bear spirit. Is this the first snow card we've talked about? It, I is. Think it is. It is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, you get to search your library for a snow land card and put it in your hand. Spirit of the Alder Guard gets plus one zero for each other snow permanent you control. So snow is an interesting mechanic in that in limited these cards are kind of inherently balanced around the fact that you can only play as many snowlands as you draft, but in Constructed, all these cards get to be houses because you can make all of your lands snowlands. Um, worth noting, this guy can grab the snowman lands. This guy can grab the new tapped snow duels with subtypes that we got in this set. So um, it, this is not just limited to grabbing basic snowlands anymore. This guy can grab scrying sheets in modern um, no, that's if, you play, <laughs> if you want to play this in modern, but I don't think you want to play this in modern. But the thing to point out is, like, if all of your lands are Snowlands, which they should be if you're playing, like, the Saltai Snow deck or whatever, which I think this would have a place in, then this is a 4-4 that just gets bigger um, and grabs you a dual land out of your deck and puts it in your hand. I think this will absolutely see standard play, as well as just being pretty good and limited. You know, you draft one Snowland, and this is a 4-mana 1-4 that grabs a land and puts it in your hand, and that is going to be far from the worst card in your deck. Yeah, this seems like a really good design. It's uh, it it's not inherently broken, but it has the ability to be pretty powerful if you uh, build your deck around the snow mechanic. So yeah, th yeah, I I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if there's a, a snow deck that wants at least uh, you know maybe one or two of these. I really like the um, you know, this is the perfect time to bring it up. Uh, they've updated the card um, uh, the card coloring uh, for these snow, so they look like frosted over. So you could tell snow creatures at a glance, uh, you know, because they have that frosted mm -hmm. kind. Of of a, a look to them, which I think is is really cool. They they really knocked that out of the park. But yeah, this just seems like a good uh, good design for snow. And MTG Blue Check Twitter is in shambles. <laughs> um, they changed the card frame. Oh man, man, man. Uh, I I like it though. I, I think this is a good pick. I, I like it fine. Um, so speaking of snow, you're showing us one of the you're going to show us one of the snow cards that seems like it's kind of catered toward constructed playability. Tell us about blood on the snow. Blood on the snow. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of, yeah, very, uh, very brutal name, uh, and also brutal art. This guy's just literally missing an arm on uh, on that. Yeah, so this is pretty brutal. Is he missing both. Uh, I don't know. It's a little hard to see with the card that I'm looking at, but I can definitely tell one of them is missing. Um, I I don't think that this is uh, standard playable. I like this for Brawl, and, and Brawl has really become my uh, constructive format choice these days, and something that um, I always struggle with with my uh, black... Uh, my my black uh, standard 
constructed brawl decks is that um, the the sweepers really aren't there, um, and they're always kind of limited in some way or you know not really doing what you want to do they're like either like super small like a cry of the carnarium or like a uh, mm-hmm. or like uh it has to be tied to creature type or something like this i love this because it's expensive it's six mana but you know black in standard brawl now just has destroy all creatures if they need it so i i yeah find myself I, I think that i'll play this in a lot of black standard brawl decks going forward because this this will just be a great choice for i need to reset the board um and then it has extra utility on top of that um you can destroy all planeswalkers if you rather do that if you're playing against like a, a super like a super friends control deck uh, like my Nicobolas mm-hmm. deck back in the day was very heavy on um uh, planeswalkers and this card would have been good against that and then if you want to load up on snow you can actually spend snow mana and bring back a creature or planeswalker which is really cool um from your graveyard to the battlefield immediately um so if you're loaded yeah. if, if you're loaded up on snow um you're capped at six mana because that's how much this card cost um but you know choosing creature or planeswalker is not ta- attached to whether you chose to destroy creatures or planeswalkers and i think that that's uh very good so um if i'm running this i'll probably look to load up on snow just so i can get that extra value out of this yeah so there's I- no Costs to just turning all your basic swamps into basic snow swamps. There's nothing that um, punishes you for playing snowlands. So that extra text is basically free. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. I just think this is really good for brawl, and I'm looking forward to playing this in all my black brawl decks co- uh, going forward. Yeah, for sure. Also, it's just a really, um, it's just a really cool like the name and then the art. I just think is is really cool. Like we knew that Kaldheim was going to be brutal, and this card is like one of the more brutal ones. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think this would definitely go in the that good metal band names commander deck. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of snow, we're moving on to another snow card. Um, so this is actually the second god we'll be talking about. And this is a unique one. This is Yorn, god of winter, and his staff, Cauldring the Rhyme Staff. So he's two and a green for a 3-3. Three, three. Snow creature, god. Whenever Yorn attacks, untap each snow permanent you control. And Cauldring the Rhyme Staff, one a blue and a black, Tap, you may play target snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield tapped. I think this is already one of my favorite cards it looks of good. all time. It looks good. Um, the, the, the multitude of different things you can do with it. Like, not only, you know, in the right deck, in the deck you're playing this guy in, all of your lands are going to be snow lands anyway. So he just, you know, has a built-in feast and sort of feast and famine effect. Mm-hmm. He synergizes with his staff in the Saltai deck. I mean, I could see you playing this in a, in, a, in a deck where you could only play one of these two halves. It would probably still be worth it. But in a Saltai snow deck, you put him and Cauldring out, and he untaps his staff so you can use it a second time, or he untaps the permanent that you grabbed with the staff. Yeah. So there's just so much utility there. Um, and when he attacks, you know, you untap all your snow creatures, which includes him. It includes your bear that grabbed a land that's going to be like, you know, a 6-4 now. Um, and it includes all of your snow lands, so you can go ahead and play another busted card. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, it, it untaps all your lands. That's that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think, the the big thing. And I mean, like, I don't think you'd even have trouble playing a Sultai deck with just a playset of each of the tapped snow duels, as long as you can get Yorn out. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, so what are your what are your thoughts on the card? Um, I yeah, this seems very, very powerful. Um, I guess I'm not at the point where I can really say about this in like 60 card constructed. I do really like the design of this being a Sultai commander um, and, you know, giving you that ability to have the um, uh, to have the creature and then the the snow artifact and then being two colors on, uh, uh, you know, like different colors on different sides. I think that's a really interesting design. Uh, and I, you know, I could see myself uh, building a standard brawl deck around this. Like if I was like, I want to build a snow brawl deck, this would most likely be my commander. It gives me three colors. It does really interesting things with snow permanents. It gives me, you know, yeah. Um, yeah and, and then the card is just inherently powerful out of your uh, uh, commander. Yeah. So this, this just seems really powerful. I think this is one of the most pushed cards in the deck, and I would have a hard time seeing a world in which this doesn't see standard play. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I, I'm looking forward. As I at looking at right now, I don't know exactly what you want to do with this card. Um, like what cards you would be bringing back from your graveyard, or what you would be playing with your untapped lands. But whatever you do with this card will be above rate powerful. Yeah, hot take. I don't think you have to break this card. I don't think you have to spend too much time thinking about what you're going to bring back with Calderon. I think just the fact that you're bringing something back every turn makes this card way more than worth playing. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fair. Yeah. Um, so next we've got Will getting greedy with two picks. Tell us why you put both of these here. <laughs> I, I audibled. I had something else. Excuse me. <clears throat> I had something else here, but I saw that um, uh, Fred's list uh, did not have these cards. I just wanted to make sure I highlighted these real quick because I have things to say about them. Uh, so these are okay. two These are two blue foretell cards. Uh, we'll talk about the first one. It's uh, Saw It Coming. It's basically, it's um, cancel is what it is. Uh, three mana instant counter target spell. The thing that's different about this is that it foretells, uh, you know, the normal two, and then to cast it when it's foretold is when generic and when blue. So, uh, of course, there's the counterspell uh, comparison going on here. I don't think this is actually counterspell, but what I do think is that this is a very powerful counterspell for standard. Um, you know, like you were talking about that foretell deck. Um, I don't think you mentioned this counterspell, but I think that this card is what would like is like one of the glue pieces that would keep a deck like that together. Uh, and I, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if like this card ends up being closer to counterspell than we think it is. We just have to kind of see how foretell plays out. Hopefully, it works. You know, and that's uh, you know it works out the way that we think it's going to. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being just a little bit closer to counterspell than we thought. Do you think that this is uh, anywhere close to the power of counterspell? No, I don't think this is even as good as just counter target spell scry one. Yeah, I, uh, I'm on the complete opposite end of how I feel about this card. I think it would end up in that deck just for the possibility of foretelling it for one or zero off of having some horses. But I am not high on this card. I'm also pretty bad at evaluating counterspells. I'll go ahead and put that out there. I love Bone to Ash. It is actually one of my favorite cards just because I love getting plus ones. I love getting two for ones. Um, but I hear that's a bad card and I shouldn't feel that way about it. But... Um, I do not see the hype on Saw It Coming. I think it is a gimmick. I think it's um, not as good as just scrying one or like exiling the spell. It's probably better than exiling the spell, but it's not as good as scrying one. But I mean, I'm probably wrong about that. I'm, I have a notoriously bad track record for evaluating counter spells before I get to play with them. I, I think that's fine. No matter what, this costs at least three. You know, so you're not, you're not ever counting this account. You're not ever casting this for just 
too. Uh, so so you're right. It's not it's not like that. But I I think that this is going to see uh, that this is going to play better than looks as well. I'll say uh, my other card is Raven Form, and I just want to complain about this card. Uh, it's a sort a blue sorcery, a common. So this is in Popper, uh, two generic and one blue uh, sorcery. Exile target artifact or creature. Full stop. Period. Its controller creates a 1-1 one, one blue, uh, blue bird creature token with flying. And then it also has foretell, but that's not the part I'm uh, upset about. So you pay your normal two, and then for uh, to foretell it is one blue. Now, it is a sorcery, so you're not there's no like real tricks with this, um, other than just bluffing maybe a counterspell or a, a doomscar or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I hate that this is blue, um, and, and I just, I just want to be on the record here. Um, I hate that this is blue, and this ought to be a white card, and I think it's very egregious that wizards printed this as a blue card um do you do you agree with that are you are you following me here yeah i agree pretty much entirely um like blue's gotten effects like this before but like this is in white's color pie and they should be actively looking for ways to improve white's plan of, part of the color pie planning and forethought is kind of white's thing like it's a big uh, it's a big part of white's identity in the color pie so i think a lot of the good foretell cards being white is good but i think i would honestly make a case for um the white for the the foretell counter spell having been white i think that would have been a defensible thing for wizards to have done uh in addition to this i think this card obviously should have been white oh that's very interesting uh huh yeah yeah, you're right, because people have been talking about ways to, to bring white up, and they've been talking about counter spells needing to be more prominent in white. So yeah, so that's very interesting. Um, I also think that Ravenform really should be able to let blue just exile an artifact. Um, I don't think that that's something that they've really ever had before. Um, that, that seems a bit more of a, a, a of a bend in the color pie, too. So so uh, as far as playability, I don't have much to say. I just want to say this card ought to be white, and I, I just don't understand why it's blue. But that's all I'm going to say. Let's let's move on to uh let's move on to other cards um you actually have one of the most exciting foretell cards on your list why don't you tell us about doomscar or, or yeah, sorry, so is, mf doomscar uh yeah rest in peace mf doom um one of the most talented and creative uh, mcs of our time uh he will be missed uh but doomscar is three and double white destroy all creatures as a sorcery and foretell for one and double white so this is a three mana board wipe um, we, the last time we saw one of those is Bontu's Reckoning, and I think it saw a little bit of play. That one, um, told you you couldn't untap your lands on your next turn, yeah. but it was one and double black to cast. And I, I guess you could compare this to that. Um, foretelling this will be easy, and this is one of those cards where you don't really need it immediately. You foretell it, and then later you have a three mana board wipe, and you get to, like, like the reason why they've always made board wipes so expensive is so you can't you your opponent has a chance to recover from it. You can't just play the board wipe and then play something else. So you're the only one with something on the board, and your opponent is immediately on the back foot. And the fact that you can foretell this early and then cast it for three and then play like a three or four drop creature after you've done the board wipe uh, or leave up mana for a counter spell so your opponent can't recover from it um, is huge. Uh, and this will absolutely be a four of in the blue white foretell deck that I'm brewing for standard. But I just wanted to point out, you know, like they don't even have to make white better by giving it things that it hasn't been able to do before. They can just make it better at the things it can already do. Give us better life gain payoffs, like a Johnny's Pride Mate being in standard for a long time. Give us some, um, you know, board, board wipes that are stronger than black's board wipes. Like black has been the color of board wipes for a while, and that should absolutely be a white thing. Um, so I think Doomscar is a step in the right direction, uh, design-wise, as well as just being a powerhouse card. 
Yeah, this this car is amazing. This is uh, one of the better things that they've done in a while. Um, being able to foretell uh, for this to curve from foretell two to casting on three um, is just really good. I think the existence of this card is really going to damper uh, like super like red deck wins aggressive decks in standard. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this this card is going to be a staple for for quite a while. Um, and, and one of the things that actually makes this a little bit more powerful is the existence of saw it coming. If you foretell this your opponent has to think that you could possibly counter you know a spell afterwards and they and they have to think yeah. about they have to think about that uh when they uh you know make their plays so they're going to misevaluate and then you just wipe their board uh you know they're like oh i need to play everything right now because my stuff's going to get countered next turn uh you know and then they walk into this board wipe or they think oh i'm about to get board wiped so i won't play anything and they wait they play like a, a one of their bigger drops and then you just counterspell it uh yeah yeah so so this card is very amazing this is really going to be a format defining card for standard uh the entirety of its existence there and yeah yeah you're, you're absolutely right in terms of uh making white better this is one of the things that they can do is just give it give it something that it does and just make it really good so you're completely right there yeah, I think um, the big thing, the big difference between like Fortel and like Morph or Megamorph is that when Morph and Megamorph were in standard, there was like one good card that had those. So when they set it face down, you knew it was Den Protector, right? If they were a green deck, you knew it was Den Protector. If they weren't, you knew it was whatever the, the one good red Morph card was. So like, but with Fortel, there's like at least four cards in each of, in white and blue that are standard playable. So, like, when they foretell a spell, you genuinely aren't going to know what it is. Whereas with Morph, it was just, like, an extra mana cost that you had to pay for... Um, that you had to pay for uh, for your Eternal Witness. You know what I mean? Yeah, in Commander, it's always Willbender. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas there are multiple foretell spells that you might play in, in different formats. So I, I like that they kind of pushed some of the cards to... Um, accentuate the, uh, the the element of mystery with the portal mechanic. I think it, it, it's going to go very well. Yeah, for sure. You you will see this card in play. Get ready for it. Yeah. So next we've got a pretty interesting limited card um, that you uh, are pretty high on. Why don't you tell us about Frostbite? Or as I've heard some other content creators say, Snowbolt. <laughs> this is a Frostbite, and that's two words. One red mana, Snow Instant. So it has that cool um, kind of frosted look to it. Frostbite deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. It doesn't hit players. You have to keep that in mind. If you control three or more snow permanents, it deals three damage instead. This is not Scred. This is this is not the power level of Scred. But um, I think that for you know this new standard we're going in, where most people will be loading up on Snowlands, this is pretty much going to be you know like close enough to bolt for it to be you know playable. Um, you know if a red deck wins, de a snow red deck wins deck exists, even though Doomscar exists. Like this is, I think this is going to be an auto four of, and they're going to load up on snow. Um, I. I as much as I wish this hit players, you know, of course that would make this card really good. Um, but I, I just, I just like this card. It, it's, it's close enough to bolt to get me excited. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I think, I think it's definitely pretty strong. Um, I like it a lot uh, in limited. I don't know if it would see standard just because it seems like red has such few. Like in a mono red deck, you can obviously just replace player mount. But like um, in standard, I think the snow deck is pretty firmly in salt eye. I don't think there's a case for a red or white really being played in it. Um, 
which would push this out of standard for me. But I mean, yeah, it's it's shock on a creature or planeswalker with a slight chance of being bolt. So yeah, I, I, I think I'm I'm about where you are on it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just, I just like the card. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it's used. Uh, so just, I love that card, by the way. Oh yeah. That's, that's pretty like, it's not gory, but like the implication of it is actually really unsettling uh, for me as somebody yeah. who doesn't do well with like that type of image imagery. So yeah, art's, art's pretty good, but that's all I wanted to say about this card. Let's move yeah. on to the best saga ever. According to, to some, uh, you know, uh, amateur podcasters. Why don't you tell us about <laughs> binding, binding the old gods? I didn't Let mean, me make I, my case. I, I think it is really good. I, I didn't actually mean that as a um, as a as a slight to you. Um, I actually don't really have an opinion about this card. So uh, uh, please, please tell us what you like about this card. For general use, this is incredibly strong. Okay, it's two a black and a green. For one, destroy target non-land permanent opponent controls. Two, search your library for a forest card, put it on the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle your library. Three, creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. Ooh. That third mode is a little bit relevant, but usually not. Finn Brawl just non- got a new toy. Finn Brawl just got a new toy. Yep. Um, I, I, I got some sad news for you. Finn is a mono green card. Aw, beans. <laughs> yeah, um, but four mana, destroy just a non-land permanent, and then the next turn, grab one of the tapped snow duels and put it into play tapped. Grab one of the tapped snow duels, because this just says forest card. It does not say basic forest. Um, very important thing to look out for. Um, you know, you blow up uh, a creature and uh, you're one of your opponent's sagas, a planeswalker, uh, some enchantment, some equipment. Like, a, you know, any non-land permanent is pretty big. You know, like um, the Vraska from, from Ravnica saw tons of play and its minus was this. Uh, and then it didn't do too much after that. But this does that for the same cost. And then, um, you know, ramps you up a land, which can be any forest, not a basic forest. And then the creatures gain death touch. That's like a nice, you know... Best case scenario, that's going to stop a block that you didn't want to happen, but that's not the big thing. The big thing is that this is just like a way upgraded version of Death Sprout. Yeah, or no. Death Bloom. You know what I'm talking about? The removal spell from the Rapids block that was illustrated by Sebekin. Yeah, yes, I, I, I agree. This was this is a good card. Um, four mana, just destroy target non-land permanent is good enough. Excuse me, good enough to play on its own. Plus, you get extra value on top of it, and one of them is ramp. That's uh, yeah. Th- this this is pretty good. Um, yeah, I just I really like this card. I think it's uh, it's a good design. I love the art on it. It looks like it's a uh-huh. uh, uh, like an actual carving. Like they you know, like they did a carving in wooden and took a picture of it. Uh, I, I really I really like that. Overall, I think this is a great card. Yeah, I uh, I enjoy it. I, I I like the art. I feel I think it's painted because I think um, Victor Adame Minguez just does paint. But um, yeah, I, I love the art too. Like the way the little purple is at the top. I think it's it's one of the one of the prettiest art pieces on a saga. I usually don't like the saga arts because they look a little cramped. But I do I do like this one quite a bit. Yeah, it's 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 really nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 I, so I, I think speaking that... of art, no? sorry, were you going to do this? No, I, I didn't have anything important to say. Go ahead. So speaking of art, the art on this next card is phenomenal, um, and Will wanted us to stick it in the slideshow. Tell me about what your feelings are on Goldspan Dragon. Uh, you know, I'm honestly kind of ambivalent to the art on this one. Um, I, I kind of like the Chunky Dragon, but I, I'm not too married to the art. But I do like this card. Um, this really fits into kind of like how I want to play the game. Uh, Goldspan Dragon. This is a, uh, a mythic here. Uh, th- it's um, five mana, three generic, two red uh, for a 4-4 four, four creature dragon. 
flying in haste. So, uh, uh, of course, I'm immediately thinking of um, Glorybringer here, but not. Yeah, not, it's I was not... gonna say every five drop dragon is doomed to be compared to Glorybringer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little unfortunate um, because this this isn't removal, but it is cool in its own way. Whenever Goldspan Dragon attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token, and then uh, as a stack ability, treasures you control have tap, sacrifice, add two mana of any one color. So all of your treasures are now tapping or you know tapping and sacrificing for two uh, uh for two mana i i think that that's pretty good um i i don't know about standards probably i don't really think there's going to be a treasure standard deck especially since treasure isn't really a super supported archetype in caldheim at the moment but that yeah. might change with other sets and it's not removal like glory bringer but for like brawl um you know any kind of like uh not super low to the ground red brawl deck i really think is going to make good use of this card and um you know it also opens up the ability for um like feather type decks where you're targeting your own creature with spells and yeah I, yeah yeah and i actually think that there might be I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of like infinite loop you can do uh, with this because just getting free two mana every time you hit this with something, there's got to be a way to break that. So um, yeah, I, I really think I, I really think any deck that kind of wants to take advantage of Feather would also kind of take advantage of this card. Um, and, and it's also yeah. just a cool brawl card. So. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. I didn't even know that it triggered off of your spells. I just kind of forgot about that part. So that's that's actually a really good point to make. There are a lot of spells that draw you a card, and you can kind of make mana off it too, because in Historic, there's the one mana spell that draws a card and gives plus one own first strike, so you kind of get to net the white mana off of that. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also important to note that just in those in those middle, like not super low to the ground decks, this is kind of a three drop. Yeah, um, sure. you know, you just can immediately spend that mana on like a removal spell or a small creature or something, and then you like you got your value back, and this is you know just beating into your opponent. I wouldn't be surprised if this was you know Ponza and Modern play some weird big creatures. You know, they played Storm Breath Dragon for a long time. It wouldn't surprise me if this did something there. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a lot of applications that we can't like come up with right now. But once those mm -hmm. get found, this will be a really cool card. So looking forward to seeing how people use this. I'll definitely be uh, playing it in Brawl. High potential card for sure. Uh, historic Brawl, or I guess it's still Standard Brawl, with the Jund Dragon that uh, lets you put a counter on someone and draw a card every time you sacrifice a permanent. Oh, yeah, I mean, cl yeah, clear inclusion there. I think that's a great that's a great yeah. idea, yeah. Yeah, uh, but next we've got a Take Extra Turn spell, uh, which we have not had in a while, and I'm very excited about. You know, uh, when I have to play Commander, I'm a big Narset fan. Um, and um, well, I wanted Oathbreaker to take off so I could play my Kiora Time Warp uh, Infinite Turns deck, which I still have built. Uh, or not infinite, but functionally infinite. I'm just going to take a million turns and you can't do anything about it. Um, Alrun's Epiphany uh, is five and double blue, but it foretells for four and double blue. You get two 1-1 one, one blue bird creature tokens of flying. Take an extra turn after this one. Exile Alrun's Epiphany. And you can see with things like this and like Karn's Temporal... Uh, shenanigans uh sundering, whatever sundering i think yeah temporal sundering that one um that they're making these extra turn spells cost more and have a little bit of an extra effect but the little bit of an extra effect is an excuse for them to cost more because if they just printed a more expensive version of time warp people would just be like this is a worse time warp but you can't technically say this is a worse time warp because you're paying two more mana for two birds i'm gonna be honest with you well i don't think a lot of people are seeing this but um I have a sneaking suspicion that the birds are not the reason that you play the spell. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So I think that um, the big thing with this card is like, you know, it's an extra turn spell in standard. And if you foretold it, it's six mana. Um, I think this is definitely better than Karn's Temporal Sundering. The birds are not irrelevant, especially like, you know, the modern um, extra turns deck that like tries to win with part the water veil. Yeah. Um, you know, this is another uh, extra turn spell that makes creatures, um, which, uh, you know, so it's another way to win in that deck. You know, you can't exactly put counters on Ink Moth Nexus with it, which, I mean, is probably for the best, but um, I think this will definitely see play in there. And I'm excited to just play this in Narset EDH and Kiora Oathbreaker. I'm excited to get my hands on a copy. Yeah, yeah, th those are really interesting applications. Um, this card doesn't really speak to me. Um, I just kind of see um, another expensive uh, time walk card. I, my eyes kind of glaze over. I'm really glad you're excited about this one. I probably won't try this um, pretty much anywhere, but I'm glad it exists. And we do now live in a world where ramp is just insane you know like uh you know we are in zendikar rising where you know it's so easy just to load up um you know your side of the board uh with lands so six mana is not that much uh it's not that hard a hurdle to get to you could easily yeah. play like tons of ramp and then be able to cast this for the foretell cost do other things and then get your other turn that you'll have like what eight ten mana on so yeah 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 so so like six mana is not that high a hurdle in this particular standard so yeah yeah i think um it's definitely like one of the better take extra turn spells just by virtue of it potentially being I'm going to play it in the um, in the blue white foretell deck that I'm brewing. Um, I don't think it's going to make its way into the snow deck. Yes, um, I'm, I'm just excited that it exists. I'm excited for a new take to turn spells. It feels like they get forgotten pretty often. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah interesting card. Uh, we kind of knew that we would get some sort of like time walk uh, 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 variant in this set we usually do we usually get something like that we like just like we get the counter spell uh variant so i, I don't think this is a terrible version yeah I, I i like it a lot i'm pretty high on the card um you know and, and maybe if this card is good enough the um like 50 ugin's nexuses that i own will go up uh, by 20 cents and i'll be able to pay my college tuition oh yeah absolutely <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, so next we've got a card that everybody's talking about and so few of those people understand. Um, enlighten us on Tybalt's Trickery. Yeah, yeah, so this is another card where people just couldn't believe what they were seeing when it was uh, spoiled because of one specific phrase, counter-target spell, period. Uh, this is Tybalt's Trickery. Um, it is a red card, that's right. A counter-target spell is on a red card. Uh, it is a one generic and one red instant, and it's a rare counter-target spell. Choose one, two, or three at random. Its controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than that spell. They may cast that card without, play, uh, without paying its mana cost. Then they put, that, uh, they put the exiled cards on the bottom of their library in a random order. So, <laughs> of course, the counter-target spell on a, red, on a red spell is just so weird. But you can't really think of it that way, of course. This is polymorph, but for all sorts of spells and not just your creatures. You you have to think of this as a polymorph spell. It is not a counter spell. Uh, am, am, right. I right, am I right in that, uh, that um, consideration? Yeah, the problem with making this a red card was that players who play red cards will stop reading after three words um, and complain <laughs> about the color pie being broken. Um, this is absolutely not a color pie break. This is just a cool new thing. It replaces the spell with a random spell. Half the time, they'll fucking get something better. So the card's not good. 
Um, but it certainly made people who don't have um, basic comprehension skills very angry, which I like. Right, right, for sure. However, however, there are absolute yahoos out there, and maybe they're on the right track. I don't know. That are trying this in uh, formats like modern. Um, I think Frank Karsten actually has an article where he runs the math. If you play a, um, if if you play a deck that is all lands for violent outbursts, so that's the um, you know three mana cascade card that does something irrelevant. Uh, one triple uh, tibble's trickery to cascade into, and then one. Um, uh, Imbracool, he did the math on how much, how often you would get that Imbracool out and be able to, um, you know, swing for, for lethal. And it wasn't a bad percentage. I think it was somewhere up in the eighties, uh, as to how, um, uh, powerful that was. So that's really the only real application of this card. And that's even still a little bit sketchy, but people are going to try it and it's probably going to be a little bit better than we think it is. But you could just hit another one of the violent outbursts. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, and then you, you wouldn't get anything. Well, yeah, yeah. Th well, that's true. Yeah, I mean that. That's why he's doing the numbers on it because it's not like it, it's it's a random thing, um, you know. But but the, the question is, is the randomness in your favor enough to keep trying it? Uh, and well, then uh, how is it eighty percent Emrakul though? I, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, so I, I, I don't. Okay. I don't know. It was enough to make it seem like it was playable. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Um, so, you know, just keep that in mind. There are people who are going to be doing that modern. And it might be worth looking at. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't play okay. this. In, I wouldn't play this in standard or anything like that. No, I, I mean, I wouldn't either. I'd just be too afraid of giving my opponent either like a better spell or a spell that's about as good. It can't get the exact same spell, right? Yeah, different name. Yeah, true. Okay. And yeah, and yeah, it has. Uh, the, and it has. Oh, the... okay. So if it hits another violent outburst, it keeps going. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. So. That makes sense. Uh. Yeah. And then the choose one, two, or three at random, and you mill that is just to make sure that you can't manipulate the top card of your library, which is yeah. Cool. yeah. I, I'm glad that that's there. I don't like that it's random. I kind of wish it was just mill three. You know, to, just to make it a little bit more, um, more of a clean design. But that's that's what it is. Well, I think if it was just mill three, you'd just make sure you have the card fourth from the top of your library. Uh, are, I get why they do that. I mean, I mean, how many cards accurately let you do that all the time, though? I, I mean, there's cards that let you scry like five. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, right. But I, I, yeah, so so, th so there's that. Um, but yeah, I think this card is it's cool that it exists. It's probably not. You're probably looking at it wrong, though. And it's definitely a red card. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a like a pretty quintessential red card. Um, so speaking of qu cards quintessential to their colors, um, I've got a big boy coming up. You knew we wouldn't make it through this list without another big boy. I mean, Will took, uh, took the first big boy, <laughs> yep. but, uh, this is battle mammoth three and double green for a six, five elephant with trample foretell for two and double green. So four drop, if you foretell it. Whenever a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. This is pretty huge. I think people are sleeping on this card, and it's going to be pretty good. I think just the utility of, like, drawing a card whenever one of your things gets targeted on, like, a big creature. Like, your, 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 your big green decks need to play big green creatures, um, and this is probably one of the best big green creatures you can be playing. 
Yeah, for sure. This seems like even without Fortel, this seems like a great rate. Uh, you know, if if Elgar if Elder Gargaroth is seeing play, um, then this really should be seeing play right next to it. Um, you know, it, it, it you know you don't even have to attack with it. All all it has to do is hit the battlefield, and then all your stuff kind of has pseudo protection. Uh, you know, you're oh, yeah. yeah yeah you're like no matter how they interact with you, you're gaining value off of it, and the the rate isn't that bad. Uh, you know, um, Fortel for four is pretty good. That's kind of in the vein of those cards we've been getting for a while where they were like huge like um uh ravenous bailoth no that's not the card um the, i i forget what it was it's the one from the um return to return to ravnica block where it was a uh, four mana six six but had hexproof and you could pay mana to get uh, your opponent could pay mana to remove hexproof from it like this is definitely yeah. that vein of card yeah love this card. I think it uh, it also, from a design standpoint, it pushes the envelope on uh, and makes you ask the question, what makes a pizza rhino a pizza rhino? Because I think this card is a pizza rhino. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a pretty good one at that. Do you think this card is a pizza rhino, Will? Um, you'll have to forget. I, I know what card you're referring to. I don't know exactly what you mean. Are you just talking about a big beater that replaces itself? Circle. Five mana, four, two, draw a card. Uh, well, I think this is better if that's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it fulfills the role of a pizza rhino? Uh, well, yeah. Like yeah. In, in limited. Yeah, you play it and it replaces itself, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So I think this is definitely one of the best pizza rhinos we've seen in, in a long time. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that it's at Mythic because, you know, some people who are pretty rigid on their definition of a pizza rhino say that it has to be, like, a common or uncommon. Uh, but I, I think this card's really good. I didn't and, know. Uh, you know. I had no idea there was Pizza Rhino Discourse. I must have missed all of this. I, I, I've never seen anybody talking about uh, about cards like that. Uh, yeah, um, it's mostly me. <laughs> oh, those uh, Mono Green Devotion aficionados. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this card is this card is great. Um, I think this is going to see play in anything that Elder Gargaroth was seeing play in uh, before. Yeah, th this is this is very good. It's better than it looks. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I'm pretty high on this card, but I think it will see some standard play. Sure. You know, not the most, but uh, definitely it's it's earned some standard play. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got one more card to look at, and this is one we both want to talk about, so I put it last. But uh, go ahead and introduce us to Ascendant Spirit. Yeah, or as you put it, Warden of the Christmas Tree, which is really clever. I just want to give you props for that. That was a really clever Thank caption you. for this. Ascendant Spirit, obviously the... Um, the um, Comparison here is going to be Warden of the First Tree, Figure of Destiny, those types of cards. Uh, but in blue, inexplicably, uh, this is... This is Ascendant Spirit. Uh, it is one blue mana for a 1-1 one, one Snow Creature Spirit. Now, it has a bunch of abilities. Um, for two generic snow mana, Ascendant Spirit becomes a spirit one, a warrior with base power and toughness 2-3. Uh, and then after that, as a three generic snow mana, if uh, Ascendant Spirit is a warrior, which it becomes with the first ability, put a flying counter on it, and it becomes a spirit warrior angel with base power and toughness of 4-4. Four, four. And then one more time, for four generic snow mana, if Ascendant Spirit is an angel, put two plus one plus one counters on it, and it gains whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Do you, yeah, so, well, first of all, why is this blue? Uh, Fred, why do you think this card is blue? Uh, these abilities are blue, and I think they're they're going to eventually keep pumping out designs like this, and, you know, eventually we would do a blue one that has some blue abilities. I think it makes sense in blue. Sure, um, yeah, yeah, I think I'm just still upset about the whole white thing. Like, uh, you know, if, um, if, if white... 
uh, white has so little to its name that I think that's reasonable to say that like leveling up your small creature into a big creature like should should at least be considered to be a white mechanic and for that to be just like taken by blue and it be like no white doesn't get that you know any color can have that that's not something that white can just have I think rubs me the wrong way you're absolutely right this, yeah. makes, this makes sense as a blue card but I think that if magic was better designed this ability would be squarely this type of ability would be squarely on white huh yeah i guess this is the first uh one of this type of effect we've seen that doesn't have any white on it um but i think uh i i just love the card and the design enough that i'm willing to overlook that um uh so quick like little bad combo um the four mana artifact in this set that makes all of your cards everywhere have all creature types um makes this already be um, a spirit warrior angel, so you can just immediately start activating the, thir the uh, third ability that gives you the card draw and makes it bigger every turn. Yeah, that's pretty uh, good. If that's something that you're interested in. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, we didn't talk about single change link on this list at all. Uh, yeah, just so everyone yeah, knows. Yeah, I mean, most of the ones that are in the set suck. <laughs> just so everyone knows, change link is in the set. That is something that's squarely blue green, so keep that in mind. More like cringe link. Mm hmm. No, I, <laughs> sorry, if that was a hot take. I don't care for changelings. No, it's it's fine. No, I agree with you. Like uh, color things aside, this is a cool design. It is powerful, and I love the idea. Um, I don't know if you were going to mention this or not, but the last ability is doable over and over again. It's not like you yeah. do it once and then it's done. Uh, you do it over. You, you can do it over and over again. You get the plus one plus one counters. And as far as I know, um, my understanding is that the uh, curiosity text will double, or you know, you'll you'll. Get Yes. another instance of that so that like um stacks with itself yes that is how it works that is correct do you think which is a little bit crazy i i, I like it i think that it's a, it's a good way to uh iterate on this type of design do you think that this card fits into the uh, snow uh Sultai snow deck um that you're thinking of for standard oh possibly you know if that deck really needs to do something on turn one this might be it um, I think that deck really relies on eking out value and like being a little bit more resilient to removal. And this card, like if I'm sorry, if your opponent lets this get to the third ability activating even once, then it's their fault. You know, decks play removal for a reason. And if this if this got all the way leveled up, then you know you you, you if if you let this get all the way leveled up against you, you probably deserve to lose. Sure, sure. Um, I just don't think I think it's a little too slow for standard play, uh, including like even in the snow deck, which would ostensibly be like the number one deck that would want it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, I, I I really like the power level of this card. You know, color reasons aside, uh, this type of card is really po uh, popular with players. Like anytime we see mm -hmm. something like this, it's it's turning heads. Everyone's going to be yeah. looking at this card as a playable card because of the pedigree that it comes from, and it's just something about the design just really uh, resonates uh, with people. So regardless of whether this fits into that snow deck, I think people are going to try to make it fit just because they love this type of card and it has power behind it so i mean i love these types of cards certainly like i'm uh, i'm leveling up my creature i'm kind of making it better over the course of the game it's like i'm playing a jrpg in my game of magic yeah yeah for sure for sure so yeah love this card uh it is a spirit so you get the spirit synergies um you know that that exists if this could make the the um the leap to older formats you know give making a spirit kind of make you know gives it a second look for like a spirit stats or, or something yeah. like that so you know keep that in mind um overall other than the color um i, I actually really do like this card 
I, I, I do too. I think this is a, a cool card, if not a good one. And I think that's a, a, a good a good way to end our episode uh, as a cool podcast, if not a good one. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Uh, before we button this up, let me just uh, get your off-the-cuff take. You know, we've seen all the cards. We've seen the cards we talked about today. Um, mm-hmm. are, you, are, are you excited for the set? Is this are, Where is your excitement level for Kaldheim? Yeah, so Theorist Beyond Death was the, most ex- the set I was most excited for in like a long time, and this has beaten it easily uh I, this might be my favorite set of all time if i get to play with it and it has the effect on the formats i play that i think it's going to yeah. uh, i love this set absolutely yeah i'm pretty hyped for it um i think they did i i think they did an okay job with snow i really hope that snow doesn't break older formats or turn arena into an environment where you it, you would only ever play Snowlands. i really hope that yeah. doesn't happen but the set is full of um cool flavor stuff um cool cards um and i i really i'm excited for for the release and i'm excited to um play with some of these um higher like uh weirder cards in standard brawl so my excitement's through the roof too absolutely mine as well so yeah uh call time is going to be really pog i've got a lot of wild cards saved up i'm of course going to get the um the battle pass for this season and uh yeah um I think we're both pretty hyped for Kaldheim and what it's going to bring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So we've gone, we've gone pretty long here. I think it's about time to to wrap this one up and uh, get ready to start start broom with these cards. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Gut Shot. You can follow me at social media, uh, <laughs> which is uh, at <laughs> War Crimes Uwu on Twitch and at Fred Ask B on Twitter. Uh, Willow's at Aggressive Rhetoric, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Gut Shot Pod. That's right. This this has been Gut Shot, the only MTG podcast that actually thinks that the shuffler is broken, and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>